welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. This one was a lot of fun as we brought on New York Times bestselling author. He's also a contributing editor to magazines like Vanity Fair and Rolling Stone. He has just come out with an awesome book called Peewee's Confessions of a Hockey Parent. We're bringing on author Rich Cohn to the podcast. Like I said, this one was a lot of fun. And here, why don't we bring on another fun guy in our talent for the podcast, Jeffrey Lavecchio. Vex, what's going on today, my man? Not much. I prefer hot fun guy to just fun guy. But yes, uh, what's up? I'm having a great day, my friend. I got some uh, free subs in the mail from uh, Chris Poli, who I played on uh, USA national team with back in the day on uh, on a tournament that we we both played in, Select Seventeen, and um, yeah, unbelievable. Healthy Truth, sick company, all really quality, vegan, non-GMO. Um, supplements they sent me. So it was really cool getting to try those. And thanks to uh, the people over at Healthy Truth. Hockey guys, hop in hockey guys. Gotta love, love it. it. Connecting <laughs> hoses. Um, okay. So I want to start this one off because you had a little bit of a viral little video that you sent out <laughs> on the IG uh, with a troll that came after you. So uh, I wanted to talk about that. That was like, honestly, First of all, your response was hilarious. Like, okay, you want to be a warrior behind your keyboard, buddy. All right, here you go. Like, meet me up. Let's do it. Here's your uh, chance. Yeah. So what, uh, I, you know, I know just the internet right now is an absolute just cesspool. Uh, it, it's just, it's just a gong show. And so, you know, you had somebody come after you and, and uh, talk some SHIT. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> How was that when you saw that your blood must have just started boiling, eh? Just like I gotta get Yeah. Well, I mean, there's like first of all, obviously, you and I, like you know, I feel like we have manners. Our parents taught us we don't have something nice, don't say anything at all. And with this age of social media, like I have no problem with people voicing their opinions or or thinking that, you know, that's the wrong way. Like, what about this way? But like when people just get on there and they just throw shade and negativity, it's like, do you just wake up? And just, you're just in a bad mood. So you just want to bring other people down. And I really, really have such a problem with that. And like, there was a, a, you know, it started with hockey players club who we both have done partnership stuff with, with them. Great guys over there. They put up a a video of one of my NHL clients, Trent Frederick, uh, kind of dominating PK Subban, getting in his head. That was a great uh, video, by the way. Great video. He's, you know, he's, I'm in your kitchen. Woo. And I (laughs) I said something on the video that they reposted. And I was like, you know, I love Fred with a meat or something you know and uh some young kid on there gets on there and starts like chirping me and like whenever somebody like is a troll like i usually try and take the, i almost always try and take the high road and instead of like just going after them and being like well what have you done in hockey like well, what do you mean you know like something like that i was just like does your mommy know that you're talking to adults like this on the gram <laughs> and then some other guy gets on and is you know chirping me like this guy's a loser look at his picture played no games in the nhl how was the asian league blah 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 and i was like all right jeff 
take a breath. And the bad thing was I had just taken my pre-workout and, and all these things. I was in my car getting ready to go in the gym and my blood just starts boiling. And, uh, you know, it's just some nerd who's never done anything and probably won't. And, you know, instead of me saying that, uh, you know, this weekend I had a conversation with my girlfriend, who's like a social media, you know, personality influencer, whatever, has a lot of big following. And she gets a lot of that stuff. Like she's just doing the same stuff we do. She puts out free information to try and help all the people that follow her with workout tips and style and supplements and whatever. And, you know, with that comes a lot of these donkeys who will just say mean things and she'll get guys DMing her just obnoxious, obnoxious things. And I just don't understand how we got to this point where people think that's okay. I don't understand it. And that conversation from the weekend and then that guy um, yesterday just kind of made me snap. And instead of me like cussing at him and stuff, I was like, I called him out. His name was Mr. Balbino. He deleted his Instagram after I put this video up, but I, I said something. I mean, you guys can look at my Instagram at Jeff Lavecchio. The video is still up where I was just like, you know, you're sweet. You want to be tough behind the keyboard? Well, let's see if you can last. I'll, I'll pay for the ice. I'll pay for you to get new equipment. And if you come out, if you last 20 minutes with me without getting knocked out, I'll give you $500. And then a bunch of my followers said, I'll give you 500 on top of that. I'll give you, <laughs> I think it was up to like 1400 or 1600. Um, but right after he saw it, he deleted his Instagram. I know that he saw it because I tagged him in it and I messaged him the, 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 the post or whatever. Um, so, I mean, just like, you know, if you're not going to say something to somebody's face, don't, don't put it on Instagram. Don't put it on Twitter. Don't put it on whatever TikTok. like grow up and just, if you don't have something nice, don't say it at all. And I shut that loser up pretty quickly. <laughs> well, but I almost would have rather him come out on the ice. So I could have, you know, well, everybody's like, were you fought him? And I was like, well, I didn't want to say that on Instagram, but I said one-on-one -on -one battle drills, but you know, I would have given him a cross check right to the kidney, then probably to the throat. And then I'm sure the gloves would have come off because I said, you have to sign a release. And if you are awake after, after 20 minutes, but he, he wouldn't have been awake after two. <laughs> Don't troll Jeff. That is the moral, <laughs> moral of the story. It's so true. Everybody's so tough behind their keyboard, right? I mean, everybody's so tough behind their keyboard. And uh, it's, it's an unfortunate, uh, you know, it's an unfortunate symptom of, of social media. And we always talk about, you always talk about like using social media for good. But one of the biggest things is it's produced a lot of tough guys. A lot of guys, like if we're talking about hockey, it's, it's those guys who, you know, are going around and sticking people in the back of the legs and, you know, talking all this trash. But as soon as you drop the gloves to say, Hey, okay, let's go put your money where your mouth is. You know, they go hide behind a teammate or the turtle or whatever it may be. And uh, it's just, it is, it's infuriating and the bullying that goes on. I mean, we've talked about how much we hate bullying and just how much it's just, it, it's, awful absolutely awful brought my brother on to talk about his experience of being bullied as as uh you know as a student in high school with special needs and and uh it's just the culture that's been created you know i mean and the most famous people in the world and most people in government on both sides they're a bunch of bullies you know all they do is throw shade every day it's like they want to score points and it's just yeah it's it's tough to be like on, both of us have built our businesses on social media and we've had conversations off the air just about how it's almost like it sucks the fact that we <laughs> that we built our business on social media because every time you go on there you just see the cesspool of of people and what they're saying and everything and um, it's uh, it's obviously been heightened during this time of COVID and obviously there was a big election that just happened that had a lot of just 
terrible negativity that that uh came through our country and and uh it's uh, it is it's it's unfortunate but again like like we said and you say it all the time follow people who are positive follow people who are going to add value to your day follow people i mean all the studies are out there about how social media causes depression and anxiety and all that kind of stuff so if you're on social media make sure you're following people that uh you know they're making you happy and and not bringing you down Man, it's so true. And it's like, and here's like an example where, so my girlfriend has a lot of followers. She has 300,000 followers on Instagram. And we had this conversation. This is where like I really snapped off because I was thinking about her and all the things that happened to her with this stuff. Like she'll have thousands of comments on a video and they're all positive, but she'll have two negative ones. And that's all she focuses on. She's like, why, you know, why, what did I do wrong? Like, whatever, why is this person saying this? So like, how do you think people are, are feeling when they're getting two positive comments and, and, you know, three negative comments and that's all they're getting. So like, it's even worse for, you know, kids who, ha- you know, and followers don't mean anything, but I'm just saying like, she's got thousands of positive comments on a video and then two negative and she focuses on the negative. So how do you think like kids are feeling when it's, when it's too negative, too positive? Like they're probably like, Oh my God, you know? So it's just, it's just, I don't like, why, why take the time to put that out there? And if it's something you disagree with, just direct message the person and be like, Hey, like start a conversation and then you learn stuff. Then you start a dialogue and you learn, Oh, that's why you're doing that. Okay. Well, I thought it was this, you know, instead of just being like, no, it, you're an a-hole, you're ugly, this, that, like, what is wrong with you people? If you don't have something nice, don't say it at all. And if you want to have a real conversation and learn why they're coming from somewhere, direct message them. I do it to strength coaches all the time. Message yeah. them. Hey, why are you doing this? You know, oh, okay, I've done it this way. I like that. Or I don't, you know, I wouldn't do it that way. So like, can you explain why you're doing it? Oh, and then I learned something. Okay, now I'm going to try that. You know, it's just put- Start a conversation and get perspective. Right. That's and the you biggest get thing. Out what you put into it. So if you're going to put out negative energy all the time, guess what you're getting back in your life? not just social media, in the real world where stuff matters, you're getting back negativity because you're always putting it out. So like change it up for God's sakes. Yeah. And your opinion doesn't have to be right. It's just your opinion. Like it's, that's the thing that's so maddening is like everybody feels like they're right. When a lot of times there is no right. It's just an opinion. Opinions can be opinions. You can have different opinions into people. And then when you don't agree with them, just ask and see what their perspective is and get some more perspective yourself. And then you can agree to disagree. That's, that's okay. But don't like hurl insults and bully and, and all this kind of stuff. It just doesn't add any value to any conversation. And uh, I don't know. I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time off the air, just with everything that's going on in the world right now. Um, but uh, it just, it's, it's infuriating. The most infuriating thing for me too. And, and I'm, I mentioned that I wanted to talk about this on, on the opening, you know, in New York. So I live in New York and uh, I coach an 18 U team and we haven't been able to play games in our state all year. Right. And, and we've been probably on the more conservative side in terms of really making sure we're following the protocols, um, you know, and, and, you know, so we haven't done anything in the state that, you know, would warrant anything uh, in terms of sanctions or, or whatever, just not following the guidelines and the protocols that were given. And it just, it really infuriates me, honestly, that three days after the election, all of a sudden the state's opening back up again. The numbers are still as worse as they've ever been. And we were told, follow the numbers. 
And so, okay, we say, okay, let's, we'll follow the numbers. We'll, we'll, we're not, we're not going to break the rules. We're going to follow the guidance. We're going to follow the protocols, all this kind of stuff. Our 18 new players, especially like you see the look on their faces, like they want to play junior hockey next year. They need to play games. They need to get exposure. And we've played seven this year. We haven't played a game since October because we're following the guidelines and the protocols. And, you know, three days after the election, coincidental timing, I, you know, who knows, but it just, it's absolutely maddening. And this isn't a political thing at all. Like this isn't a, a political conversation. This is just uh, a, a concerned coach wondering and, and worrying about his kids and wanting to help them to get to the next level. And if the numbers, you're telling us to follow the numbers all along, the data says we shouldn't be opening things up. The and, it's, and if that's what the data says, then that's fine. But now that the, da the data is still saying that the numbers are worse than they've ever been, but we're going to open things up now, like, come on. Really? Hey, you're preaching to the choir, man. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not even taking, I know you're not talk, talk, taking sides, talking politics, but yeah, that really, really grinds my gears, if you will. And, uh, you know, I feel like the, the biggest losers are the kids that are trying 100%. to play sports in, in this whole thing. And again, you know, it's just selfish people being, uh, being selfish, caring about themselves and their own interests versus others, whichever way you're looking at it, you know, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of things going on that don't make sense. So with that, I would just say, you know, for everybody out there, just keep being positive, keep being a good person, keep, keep doing good things no matter what, even when the, when the chips are down. Absolutely. All right. This was kind of negative. I feel like we don't get very negative. We don't, <laughs> on this podcast. we don't, we don't often, but, but it just, it, I'm so freaking frustrated. I'm so frustrated right now. And like, it, it's like just starting this off about somebody trolling you for no reason. Yeah. Like that's like our businesses are built on social media. And so when we go on there every day and that's what we see, it brings you down. And it yeah. just, it's, it is, it's absolutely maddening. It, it affects my day sometimes when I see certain things that are happening, um, especially to people that are great people, like great people are getting sloshed through the mud by these internet trolls that have nothing better to do than to make people feel better because it, it, if, you know, I don't know if it makes them feel better. They're so <laughs> they're whatever they're going through, you know? So it's just, uh, I don't know. It, it's, it is, it, it's a topic that sucks. Um, it's, it's been just infuriating. Well, wasn't it Martin Luther King that said something? It was like, hate does not like cancel or hate will not get rid of hate. Only love can yeah. do that. Something yeah. like that along those lines. And it's so true. Like I think about, any beef or argument I've ever been in with anyone in my own life, me getting angry and going back at them, like, did, has that ever solved it? No, but me like thinking perspective and coming from, okay, where are they seeing things from talking it out, talking to them as a human, like coming from a loving perspective, then all of a sudden you're laughing about it, you know, and you, you squash it. So it's, so true, man. Quit, quit putting the hate out there. <laughs> well, here's a good story. Uh, so my former captain at Cornell, Matt Molson, uh, played a lot of years pro hockey, just came out with a video today. It was very, very cool. Um, so I saw it on, on both Twitter and Instagram. So he plays for the Hershey bears right now. He's one of those guys who older, he's, you know, 37 years old, but, uh, just did played a lot of years in the NHL has done some really good things in the game. Now a mentor to, to the young kids coming up. And uh, it was really cool. He got named captain of his team and they showed a video of his two kids uh, up on the scoreboard saying like, 
hey daddy you're going to be captain in much longer words than that but uh just a really really cool feel good video and uh just con- congrats to Mulse. he was a junior when i came in uh to cornell and just the consummate professional just uh there's a reason why he played so long in the nhl and he you know when jack eichel was uh was a was a rookie with buffalo he had uh eichel live in his basement with his family in in his first rookie year just kind of like what mario lemieux did for uh for sydney crosby what so many guys are doing now um, with the rookies that are coming up. So um, awesome honor. Very, very cool to see Molse's kids telling him he's going to be captain from the Jumbotron up uh, up top there. And I uh, just want to say a big congrats to him. That's nasty. I saw you. I didn't know there was a video attached. I saw you uh, post that, put it on your Instagram story, but I didn't watch it because I didn't know there was like a, a video. I'm going to have to watch it when we get off here. Yeah, it was really cute. It was really cute. And then, uh, hey, pivoting over, this conversation with Rich was awesome. Very, very cool. Neither of us, uh, neither of us know him. Um, but I honestly, I got like four different emails from people, uh, about his book, which is called Pee Wee's Confessions of a Hockey Parent, where he basically chronicles <laughs> being the parent of a Pee Wee throughout an entire season and how, how in- intensely crazy it can be. And uh, he's a fun guy to talk to. Like he had a lot of great stories. He had a lot of really good perspective about <laughs> how difficult it can be to, as a hockey parent at times. And um, this was this one was a lot of fun. I think a lot of people are going to have fun with this one. Yeah, he's hilarious. He's clearly quite cynical and it was hilarious to me. I thought it was really funny is when he kind of went through some of the different, uh, the different quote unquote types, uh, uh, stereotypes of hockey parents. Yeah. You got the dads who think they know it all down in the corner, just talking about, you know, what's going on the ice. You got how they can do better than the coach and stuff. Right. You got, you got the goalie (laughs) mom sitting directly behind her son, the whole game with the GoPro, uh, stapled to the glass and you got the guy who drinks, you got the guy taking all the stats. Like I thought that part was so funny because any youth hockey game you go to, you see those exact stereotypes. Um, and he had definitely had some good stories. Yeah, no question. It was a lot of fun to talk to him. And, uh, you know, we haven't read his book yet, but like I said, I had like four different people send me articles because he had a big article right up on sportsillustrated.com. And uh, so people forwarded it over to me and there's a little excerpt from his book and it was hilarious. I mean, taking him through the tryout phase and how, <laughs> how anxious that can make the parents, let alone the kids uh, during tryouts and then figuring out uh, how to deal with dad coaches and um, just everything in between. And, and he talked about some of the ups and downs of coming through a season. And I thought it was really cool him talking about his son, how he didn't make the top team, but they strove to beat the top team towards the end of the year. And, uh, and eventually they got the chance to play them and, and uh, it's just very, very cool stuff. And I think, I think everybody's going to get a lot out of this one. Definitely a few laughs um, and definitely perspective on being a hockey parent too. Yeah. He's a, he's a beauty. It's definitely somebody tagged me, a couple people tagged me on Twitter too, like saying, Hey, you should have this guy on. So I'm glad that we got to have him on and uh, excited to read his book. Well, and by me reading his book, I mean you reading his book and telling me exactly what happened, <laughs> but everybody else should pick up his book. There you go. All right. So before we get over to Rich, we do have some sponsors to thank. We want to thank Gel Sticks, our title sponsor. Thanks to those guys and Lounzy for being with us all the way since we started this whole sponsorship thing a while back. Um, go to gelsticks.com, G-E-L-S-T-X.com to get a discount on your weighted training stick with the coupon code think tank one word. Uh, we want to thank train heroic Jeff's training app. 
where he has all of his workouts on there. Go to your app store on your phone, pick up Train Heroic, and then look for Jeff Lavecchio's workouts. Uh, over, what was it, 11, 1,200 people you got on there doing your train with me right now. Um, so awesome, awesome stuff. I wish I had 1,200 people. The train with me, I have like 50 people doing. That's just my workouts, and I love uh, anyone who wants But you've to- had 1,200 people like throughout. Uh, yeah. It's I think it's more like 1500 now. Not a big deal. Got oh. three junior teams that a hey, real quick. If there's any junior coaches uh, listening or kids, uh, uh, junior owners, anything like that. Something that I really want to do next year. Try city storm. Um, if you want to ask coach Noreen, he's been on the podcast. Absolute beauty. Unreal guy. He's loving what I've been doing with them all season long. Uh, my goal with train heroic with the junior hockey clubs is I know, especially this year and next year, it's going to be the same. Clubs are going to be strapped for cash. So I am able to come in and train all the guys online. It's super clean, super easy. Then the guys can go in at different times if they have to. They don't need to coach in there because every every exercise, everything I have them do has a video with it. They can train four to six days a week. You know, I talk to their their athletic trainer every Sunday about the schedule. If there's something that comes up, hey, we need a lighter day. We need a heavier day can immediately change it on the fly for much cheaper than they can go out and get a terrible personal trainer or what a lot of junior teams are doing now is getting CrossFit coaches. My God, for the love of God, please don't do that. Please don't get a CrossFit coach to train your junior hockey team, especially in season. So I had so many guys get injured and tell me they got injured from doing things like that. So that's why this is a big passion project of mine. I can save your, your club money and I can also help your players get jacked during the year. So when the time playoffs come around, they're rolling when everybody else is tired. I will stand off my soapbox now, but any teams interested, shoot me a DM. <laughs> I like it. Uh, yeah. So thank you to them. And then thank you to our drill sponsor, icehockeysystems.com. Those guys are awesome. And look for some more collaboration stuff between the hockey think tank and ice hockey systems coming up shortly. Um, but the drill that we want to talk about here today is one I call chaos five on five. And it's a very simple drill. Um, but one of the questions that I love asking other coaches is how much of the game do you think is scripted versus how much of the game do you think is chaos? And we asked Daryl Belfry that one, actually, when we had him on, and he had a fantastic answer to it. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that one, it's our most downloaded one. It was like, what, a month and a half ago, two months ago. <laughs> but uh, so this one puts him in a little bit more of a chaos situation. And so as the coach, you had five on five, you got all the guys in the neutral zone. You got one team, let's call them the black team, one team, the white team, and you blow one whistle and everybody's just got to skate around. All right. So you're not just staying on your side of the red line. You're just skating around all around the neutral zone, all around the neutral zone. Then the coach blows another whistle and you throw a puck somewhere. And as a coach, you can, if you want to work on neutral zone, maybe throw in the neutral zone. If you want to work on four check, maybe you throw it in one of the zones and it just gets the players from a chaos situation to try and get into whatever type of structure you want to do with your breakout or with your defensive posturing, whatever it may be. And I just think there's so much value to it because I do think there's so much chaos in the game. It's not all scripted. So if you can find a way, especially defensively, when things are a little bit more uncontrolled, find a way to get it to where it is a little bit more controlled and people are talking and pointing things out. I, Hey, I'm F1. I got it. All right. I'm the strongest, whatever it is. So it's just a really cool way to add a little bit of chaos into the situation that you're putting the kids in and then getting them into where they have to communicate to find a little bit of structure in it. And we used to do this drill at Cornell, like once a week, um, was really, really good. So, um, that one's the one we want to talk about today. Vex, what do you think you ever done that drill? 
Yeah, I mean, I've done that with uh, in zone, D zone, offensive zone, regroups, stuff like that. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, actually, a while ago. Like, especially at the you know triple A, probably starting around like fourteen, where where the game is starting to be a lot more thinking um, and a lot faster. I think that almost every time you're practicing regroups or a, a dump a dump in puck or a back check into covering you know getting into your coverage in the d zone you should start this way because so many coaches start with the left wing on the left side the right wing on the right side the center in the center and they just go straight right to where they're going to go there's no thinking in the game when you're in the offensive zone everybody's down and the center might be low and the winger might be high and you know the right wing might be in the left corner and the left wing might be in the right corner so it's it's stupid to just always practice like going on a train track right back to your spot start with this chaos so the players have to do what talk communicate point talk you know read react read the situation where's the puck look behind him okay i'm the first guy back i'm not the center so i'm gonna yell to him i'm going i'm going i'm one you know so it just makes so much more sense and it's gonna translate to games way more than just the train track thing where it's super easy for the players yes coaches don't do the train track thing (laughs) that's a scientific term the train track thing guys don't do that I love it. I could have said it better myself. I thought that was an awesome explanation. Um, so yeah, five on five chaos drill. We'll put some video out later in the week on it. Uh, or you can just go to our website, the hockey think tank.com um, and, uh, and check it out there. Uh, the other thing too, <laughs> I don't know if you just did that on purpose, but for the listeners out there, Jeff, I think just put his computer screen down and just showed me his abs. I don't think if it was intentional, <laughs> I don't think it was, but that was pretty funny. Knowing you people will be like, it was definitely intentional. <laughs> It was not intentional, intentional, but hey, how you doing? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and the other thing, obviously, you know, we have a lot of hockey parents that'll listen to this one, and this is just a crazy time of year. Um, I've been getting just like inquiries about next year in like December from people when this year still has like four or five months left in it. And I know it's a very stressful time for, uh, for hockey parents. So I'd encourage you to go to the hockey think tank.com and there's a little tab called parents. And if you click on that, it'll take you to our hockey think tank parent survival guide. And in that survival guide, we have basically all the things that, um, you need to know, or we feel like you need to know as a hockey parent going through this, everything from, you know, what, what should we look at when we're choosing a team for, for our son or daughter, which is very relevant in the next couple of months as that's going on, uh, to how important the car ride home is, what should we talk about with our kids in the car ride home, um, to, you know, all the way up to the, the higher levels where do I need an agent or an advisor? Uh, how do you get to, to college or professional hockey? Like what's the path look like? So I would encourage everybody to go to the website, the hockey think tank.com and click on the parents thing and, and you can get it. Uh, if you enter the coupon code hockey, you can get 20% off. And again, it's only 25 bucks. So it'll be 20 bucks. Um, this is not something that I'm going to make a ton of money on, but hopefully it can make a huge impact on the hockey world because we just, parent education is everything. And we get questions all the time, Jeff and I on social media or email, or even as we're walking through rinks, just what can I do for my kid? Like, how can I put my kid in the best environment or situation? And, uh, you know, we took a lot of those questions that, that we get and we put it all in a parent survival guide. And we've used some of the things, uh, some of the people that we've spoken to on this podcast or some of our YouTube conversations, uh, 
people like Martin St. Louis, uh, you know, assistant coaches in college, uh, Jaina Hefford, who was a Canadian Olympian and one of the best women's players of all time. And it's not just coming from us. It's coming from them too, with some of the little short clips that they had talking about their childhood, um, and their parents and stuff. So, uh, head on over there. Uh, we've talked enough here <laughs> in this intro and, and I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy this conversation. Uh, we really enjoyed it. It was a ton of fun, really, really funny. And, uh, without further ado, um, here we go with author Rich Cohn. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast. He is a New York Times best-selling author that just wrote a book called Pee-wee's Confessions of a Hockey Parent. Rich Cohn. Rich, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Always good to get some uh, Chicago blood here on the podcast. And uh, I know you grew up not too far away from where I was. And, uh, you know, obviously you wrote a book about being a hockey parent. Um, but tell us a little bit about your childhood and getting involved in the game with hockey and stuff. How'd you fall in love with the game out in the Chicago area? And uh, what kind of lit your fire in, into it? Um, well, I grew up, I was born in 1968. There wasn't that much to do as far as video games and uh, <laughs> anything else. And the winter was long and miserable, as you might remember. And I don't even think they'd built the mall yet, you know? So basically my older brother played hockey with a bunch of kids. He's five years older. And my mother would just drop us both off at the rink. So I was at the hockey rink all the time. And uh, I just started to play. And the way my brother, actually my brother taught me to skate. And the way he taught me to skate is I had this huge fear when I was a little kid, three years old of the Zamboni. I thought the Zamboni was going to run me over. So I was walking around on my ankles and he was friends with the Zamboni driver and he got the guy to come out and chase me with the Zamboni and it went from can't skate to the fastest skater anybody had ever seen in about two seconds. <laughs> Trial by fire, just throw you right in the deep end, huh? <laughs> and then I just started to play, you know, I mean, in the house leagues, the house league was good. This was in Deerfield and the Deerfield bubble was in, was, it was, a, it was in a bubble. Actually, my brother played there so long ago, it was an outdoor rink. They put the bubble on it. It was freezing cold rink. And when he was playing, actually during a game, the bubble, there was a windstorm and you could see the whole thing shaking and the bubble ripped off during a game. Oh my God. <laughs> and, the, and it's kind of bubble. It was like badly constructed bubble, kind they don't make anymore. And all the parents got in the cars and chased the bubble because the bubble cost a lot of money and uh, they wanted to see if they could salvage it. And I think they caught up with it in Indiana, by which time it was in shreds. That is absolutely insane. Wow. So were you a Deerfield Falcon then? I was yeah, a Deerfield Falcon. All right. Me too. I was as well. <laughs> was Deerfield Falcon and a Glenview star. So um, crazy, crazy stuff. But looking back now, like, you know, you, you've obviously written a book and you're a hockey parent now and, and uh, we'll get into the book, but like, I wonder, are kids aware, like when you were a kid and we, if we look back as we were kids, obviously we know now that hockey's nuts, especially at the higher levels, <laughs> you know, it's gotten to be, uh, it's gotten to be a little bit insane, but like you as a kid, did you kind of know that? Or, you know, in talking to your son or talking to any of your kids, like, do they kind of see a little bit of the craziness or do you think it's just something that adults deal with? I think it's something adults deal with. I mean, with me, my father grew up in Brooklyn. He grew up in old time Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. They played basketball. They played stickball. So that's one of the reasons hockey was great. My father couldn't mess it up for me. He didn't know anything about it. And he actually had been a basketball coach. And um, I didn't want to play basketball because he was such a pain in the ass of a basketball coach. <laughs> my brother played basketball. He tied my brother's right arm behind his back for like a week. He had to do everything with his right arm to develop his left hand, you know? <laughs> so um, 
So we, we were just dropped off and picked up and they asked us how it was. And, and my mother never went because she hated the cold and everything. And the Deerfield bubble was very, very cold. And uh, now, I mean, I would kind of make fun of crazy hockey parents, but I am one for sure. I'm one of the problems probably. And, um, but I think that it doesn't affect my son. Like it just kind of washes over him and hockey has a great advantage of being, you know, the parents are safely contained behind glass. The parents can't get to them. So that's a great thing about hockey, which is it's two different surfaces. Cause I've actually was at a little league baseball game and my sons where a parent ran out onto the field because he was mad about a call. And that's not going to happen with hockey. That's insane. But so your parents didn't go to the rink a lot, but how were the other parents when you were growing up seventies, early eighties, where do you think that it was, it's gotten worse since then, or was it about the same then? Way worse. I mean, it's, we had bad parents, you know, we had parents that yelled things at the stands. One of my father's favorite stories is I would play in some game and uh, a parent yelled, I was small, yelled, get that shrimp off the ice. And I scored two goals and they took me off and yelled, put the shrimp back in the game. You know, so when he was yelling from the stands, you know, I didn't even hear it. I heard about somebody told me about it later. I totally tuned it out. So, but that was like really the exception. And now like a big thing for me when I went to, and I think it's just, everything seems more important than it used to. So now when it, when, uh, when I went to my older son, I have an older son who played, but I went to his first game and he was a squirt and he played and I went into the locker room because he forgot I had his tape for some reason. And I opened the door and all the parents were in the locker room. And I was like, this is nuts. I mean, if the parents are in the locker room, you can't have a team. You just have like a, it's like a bunch of tennis players with their tennis coaches all playing on the same side of the net. It's like a, not a team sport. It's an individual sport. And that was an extreme and a weird situation, but the parents care more. They're more involved and there's more teams and there's better teams. So all the like status things matter to parents. Like if your kid's on the double A team, and, and doesn't make the team and is on the eight and it's on a new team. You've got to make all new friends. And it's very much like they're the double A parents. They're the triple A parents. They're the A parents. And in our system, we have double A. There's no, we have double A, single A, A1 and B. So it's like, you know, the B parents and the double A parents. It's like, you know, the billionaires <laughs> and the regular people. It's like, they don't, you know, so, and, and the kids are not really that aware of it, but the parents, you can't help but be aware of it, you know? So there's like a hierarchy, like you actually feel, feel like, like the AAA parents think they're above the B parents like that. that yeah, exists. I think so. I think it's like junior high school lunchroom tables, you know? Oh my and God. It's like, and you try not to be, I mean, like I'm 52 years old. It's ridiculous, but you can't help it. It's like, you know, you're moving up to first class, you know, it's sort of like, I always said, like if they made all the seats on the airplane, first class seats. Nobody would like it because for like a lot of people, part of the pleasure of being in first class is doing there's other people suffering and you're having a better time. And it's like for the, if there was just one level of hockey, there would be no feeling of accomplishment. People want to know that they've moved. There's always moving up and beyond. And the big fear for youth hockey is the big fear in American society, which is like being left behind, like, which is crazy because we all played hockey. We know that kids develop at different times that the kids who are good squirt players are not going to be the kids who are good in high school. It's just, you know, but you still get caught up in the moment and you want your kid to, to, to make the cut. And it's all very public, you know, and the way we did it with our, the way I wrote about at the beginning of the book, which was in the sports illustrated story, which yeah. is they try out. Now, some of these organizations, they don't let the parents in and that's a good thing. 
But in ours, they did. So all the parents like pressed to the glass. They're watching. They don't know what they're looking for. They're writing down the numbers of all the different kids because when they put the numbers up of who made what team, they just put the numbers that are on the pinafores. They're not like the real numbers. But every parent, the parents write down the numbers. I never do because I never have a pen and piece of paper with me, you know. But I'm always like, can you tell me who those are? You know. So then they put the numbers online. So you're sitting and they make the big cut, which is there's a big group and a small group. And obviously the small group, you always want to be in the small group. And, um, and so you're sitting at home with your computer hitting refresh, 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 you know, trying to see which team your kid's on and then either being very happy or kind of pissed off. And that's just the human condition, I think, in, in a hockey rink. That's insane. That's so crazy. It is crazy too, because I read the SI article and it was, it was really, really interesting and, and, and really well-written and you know, th- that parent hierarchy thing, when you really think about it is crazy. Like you think about the, so you, you, I think, I can't remember exactly what you said, but something about a social status. And if your kid goes from the double A team to the A team, not only does that mean that the kid goes from the, the double A team to the A team, but also your status as a parent goes from double A parent to a parent. And now those double A parents are almost going to like look down on you. And then like, if you are the best player on a team, then like automatic, or if your kid is the best player on a team, like automatically you have this like parental kind of like halo around you, you know, right. people are starting to suck up to you and everything like that. And I think about it and I'm like, you know what? That is so true. Yeah. It's so true. And how do you navigate that as a parent? Because we never want to project ourselves onto our kids, but it seems like in this hierarchy of youth hockey, it just, it just, it is, it happens. You can't, I mean, I guess if you're a truly enlightened person, if you're the Buddha of hockey parents, then maybe you don't care and it doesn't matter, but you, it, you just can't escape it because, you know, you, one thing you can tell is the parents, and I do it all the time. You always talk about, Oh, who are we playing? Well, how are we doing? I don't like our record, you know, and it's like a Cubs fan talking about the Cubs or something, but really there's like, you're not on the team, man. Like you're not playing anybody. You're old and fat and you're sitting in the stands with the rest of us, you know? So, <laughs> but, um, but I just think like for me, I, cause I, I, you know, when I, I didn't, for a long time, I always heard about these crazy parents and I always thought the thing about sports parents is they're trying to like make the kid, the player they never were, or they're trying to relive their own life or they're trying to relive their glory. And I guess some of that's true. Like, and I thought that's what was driving me. When I got there, I found out that if your kid does better, you're treated better. That it's not about the past. It's about the present and your status in the town goes up and it's all connected to this stuff. And I found when my son made a great play and a stranger came over and hugged me. And I thought, this is weird, but it's kind of great, man. It's like, I'm moving up in the <laughs> level here and I'm walking and And really there's, and it's just, the, just human nature in a way, but, and then you look at these people and you think like, and what are you going to do when your kid's done playing hockey, which for most of them is going to happen after senior year in high school or even before. So that's such a big part of their life. And what happens when it's gone? And of course, if you're a parent, one of the reasons why it's so intense and why this book's connecting to people, I think, is because it's just parenthood intensified by the experience of hockey. Like everybody has that problem that their kids grow up and move away from home and empty nesters and all that, but it just makes it more intense. And how are you going to fill it? Are you going to become, are you going to move to Arizona and play golf all day? Are you going to uh, be one of those weird adults who hangs around other kids' hockey games, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That'll be Jeff. <laughs> <Weirdo>. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh man. Well, I, so I, I, I cannot wait to get this book just based on the excerpt that I read from SI and, and, uh, just, it, it just seems so, so interesting. And Jeff and I are both very steeped in youth hockey. Jeff trains a lot of guys, um, off the ice and I'm a hockey director of a triple A organization here in central New York. And, uh, it is, it's, it's, it's really crazy. And, and I think every hockey director, and there's probably a lot of hockey coaches that could say, Oh, if I just put all my stories into a book. What, right. what kind of book would that be? Right. <laughs> so like for you as a hockey parent and, and you're obviously a, an incredible writer, by the way, I didn't know you wrote a book about the 85 bears. I will be getting that along <laughs> with this book tomorrow because <laughs> I was born in 1985 in, in Chicago. So I'd like to say I'm a kindred spirit of those guys. Um, but what, why did you write the book? Like, what was it about? Was it something to educate parents that are getting into it? Was it more of an entertainment thing? Um, you know, what, what propelled you to want to write this book? Well, the main thing was, is I'm like a normal, reasonable person. And I did, was not really involved with hockey other than playing in adult hockey leagues for like 20 years. And then when my son started playing, I got involved again intensely for the first time since I was a kid. And I got so caught up in it. It's so, the highs of it are so great. It's so fun. It's so exciting to watch them when they play well. It's so thrilling to watch your kid do something well. And when they play badly, it's so upsetting, you know? And I thought, I am losing my sense of perspective here, man. I, this, I have three other kids and I'm neglecting my other kids, basically, you know? And, and um, when that happens to me, I look for like something like a guidebook or something, a movie or something I can do that can basically tell me you're not alone, that other people are experiencing the same thing. You're not crazy. And uh, I felt like that book didn't exist, so I decided to write it. And then of course, the material was so great. And then I thought, you know, I'd written this book about the Bears and I'd written a book about the Chicago Cubs and I always wanted to write a book about hockey. And I thought, I don't want to write about a pro team. I, when kids, kids playing sports is the purest thing there is. They're not doing it for money. They're not doing it for any reason other than they love, love the game. And, um, and so if you could follow a kid's season, which has an automatic tension, then you could get a great, great sports story that sort of transcends just being about youth sports. It's just about, you know, the joy of playing sports. And then it just so happens that my son's team happened to have this incredibly crazy up and down season, which probably isn't so incredible. Cause like you said, every, everybody who's reached out to me, they had a season like this and they had a situation like this. And what's funny is the coaches, the professional coaches, as opposed to the parent coaches have been really good and they're a lot younger. And I always say to, like, to them, like what they don't realize is how much stress the parents are under, you know, cause they're dealing with the parents but the parents always say, you know, try to be uh, empathetic when dealing with the parents because approach a parent like you approach somebody that's had three drinks and you're trying to quietly move them out of the bar. I mean, normally we're not like this. We're just normally, <laughs> you love us. We're great people, but we're in a really weird, intense situation. And sometimes we act like idiots. Do you think that that is specific to hockey or do you think that's in all sports? Because, you know, you talk to some people and they say like hockey makes you crazy. It's, it's the youth hockey thing. But then, you know, you talk to people of lacrosse or basketball or soccer or football and they'll say the same things like our parents are nuts too. So like, is it something about hockey or do you think this is kind of like a multi-sport parent kid problem? I mean, I think it's both. I think it is about hockey in that, See, if you go to watch a kid's play, if you watch the 10-year-olds play baseball, it's boring. And it doesn't look anything like the baseball they're going to be playing in 10 years. Same with football, you know, and same with basketball. Hockey is hockey. When you go watch little kids play hockey, if they're good hockey players, it's exciting. 
I mean, I'd go to those tournaments and I'd just be standing around waiting for, you know, two hours between games and I would get completely into games played by kids I don't didn't know. So I think that there's the, the aspect of being a fan gets into it, you know, that you don't get in some of those other sports. And then, and then I also have a feeling like hockey's growing and there's more and more people coming into it and it's getting more and more competitive. So there's more and more pressure to sort of end up with the right people on the top teams. I think baseball, which my son also plays, is sort of, it feels like it's sort of less and less kids are playing it, at least here. It, it, it has a different feel to it. You know, the great thing is you're outside and it's spring and it's summer and all that, but it, it just doesn't have the same intensity. And some of that's the game. And some of that's just that what's happening right now, the sort of a, the cutting edge of sports, I think, is youth hockey. And maybe I hear lacrosse, but I've never, I really don't know anything about lacrosse, but I think that's pretty intense too in the same way. I think probably part of it too is because hockey is so much more expensive than every other sport. So parents get way more invested. They're going right. to, especially once you hit teenage years, if, if your son's playing travel hockey and then even more exacerbated, big word, what's up? If you're playing uh, AAA hockey and you're spending 10 to 20 plus thousand dollars a year for your kids' sports. So I feel like right. that's gotta play a well, role. Well, that's a huge, huge part of it. And also you travel so far. So if your kid's not getting ice time, you're sitting there going, I just drove five hours and I spent $4,000 for my kid to sit on the bench and feel like crap, you know? And I remember once my kid got missed a bunch of shifts and I was like, what did he do? And I found out that during the pregame warmups, he'd thrown an egg corn at a pigeon. That was the, uh, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and that's, that suggests the kind of fight we want out there. <laughs> you want to be punishing that. You want to be encouraging that. He's competitive, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, then you just start thinking like, I drove all this way, and da, da, da. and I had a game with my other son when he was really young, where we drove to a tournament six hours, and he didn't play. And and the first game, I went up to the coach, and it was clear that he'd forgotten about him. I mean, he'd forgotten all about like, and he was so apologetic about it. And, and then he played overplayed him after that, I think, to make up for it. But it was just like you forget that these are like you know, real people who probably went out and had six drinks the night before and doesn't half know where he is because we're at a tournament and you forgot about the kid. <laughs> that's, that's actually, I think that that's partly true, that that's something to defend the coaches, some of them anyways, that, that players and parents don't think about. I have a, uh, what is he, he's a U18 um, he's away from home, spending a bunch of money to play AAA hockey this year. And he told me about a situation this past weekend. And he's like, how should I approach my coach? And I asked him a whole bunch of questions. Well, were the other D-men getting sat? Were, you know, was this happening? Was that happening? You know, how was your week of practice? All these factors that he didn't take into consideration. And I was like, and you know what, man, if it's a tight game and there's only one coach on the bench, sometimes coaches just make a mistake. Like, parents you got to think like he's not only managing the bench he's watching the ice he's he's okay who's playing well right now do we have to win he's got a lot of things going through his mind and I'm not making an excuse for a coach but getting behind that bench is pretty hard and if you haven't heard Toph's story about one of the one of the parents uh trying to run a practice one time that story I don't know what episode that was on but it is literally gold when Toph talked about that <laughs> Coaching is a lot harder, parents, than you think it is, especially at the faster, older level. So sometimes, I'm not saying all the time, sometimes coaches do make a mistake and they're not sitting your child on purpose. Right. Yeah, that was clear. As soon as I talked to him, he was like, oh, you know. And then I was like, oh. So, 
you know, he just, he just, he didn't know it was early in the season. He didn't know the kids that well. And he forgot about them, but it was just kind of a funny, you know, weird thing. But as a parent, you're thinking like, it's too, the whole thing is crazy. That's why I sort of say a good thing for parents, for their sanity and for their kid is don't go to all the games, man. Give your kid a break. Like, and they don't have it so that your kid is there performing for you. You know, it's good for them to play when you're not around. And um, I almost got like I was in a situation a couple of years ago where I realized the Cubs would win if I didn't watch the games. And I got me itself into a terrible situation where for the good of the team, I couldn't watch my team. And it's sort of I guess like that sometimes with my kid. I feel like he plays better if I'm not there because he's trying to do too much because I'm there. You know, so I do think it's good to, you know, sort of take your foot off the gas a little bit as a hockey parent. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Vex, I feel like I should tell the story now because there's probably some people listening that didn't because it was a long time ago. Yeah. So, so Rich, we, uh, we had this, this dad, I was a peewee and we had a Russian coach, this guy named Stan Stiopkin. We've had him on the podcast. He was one of the best coaches I've ever had. Just, you know, basically trained us kind of like the red army team back in the day. Um, and it was, it was awesome. And, um, so we had this, this dad, obviously this guy, Stan does things a lot differently. And, and so this dad was making a ruckus with all the parents and complaining and, you know, this coach doesn't know what he's doing and yada, yada, yada. And, and so Stan goes, you know, in his Russian voice, okay, you do it. And yeah. I was like, what? He goes, okay, you run practice. You, come out, you run practice. And so the guy's like, all right, yeah, I'm going to go out and run practice. And then, so the guy comes out, runs practice. First of all, he has like jeans on. So it doesn't have like the coaching attire. He's got like jeans on and you, you could tell within the first four seconds of him being out there, couldn't skate at all. Yeah. And the drills were just absolutely atrocious. And we're kind of looking around at each other, like what is going on? And as kids, we didn't know at the time that that stuff was going on. We just knew that Mr. Hertz by this name, by the way, his name is Richard Hertz. So just oh, as a, nice. okay. As a, yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's not a joke. His name actually is that, but anyway, um, the kid was great. I don't want to say that the kid was a great kid. Ricky he was also Richard Hertz. We called him Ricky Hertz. Um, but anyway, it was just so amazing that our coach just, you had the gall to be like, all right, you're up. Let's see yeah. it. You, you have all the answers. You think I'm doing it so bad. Here you go. Here's the whistle. This is your practice. And we're, I just remember being out there being like, what is going on right now? This is atrocious. That's, the, that's like the meanest thing to do to somebody like give, give you what you wish. <laughs> like I, had, yeah. I had this thing. Uh, I was doing a book event when I beginning of my whole writing career and some guy got up and was denouncing me and said, you're just up there saying a bunch of funny stuff. Anybody could do that. And I said, okay, say something funny right now. <laughs> and he just... <laughs> oh, I love that's that. Ama- you know, that's amazing. I love that. There's literally a guy, Tof knows this, but there was a guy on Instagram kind of, I was pumping one of my NHL guys that I trains tires on, on Instagram and some guy out of nowhere, one of these internet trolls starts chirping me. So I literally got on Instagram a few hours ago and I said, I will have you i will pay for the ice i will pay for you to get all new equipment you can come on the ice and if i don't knock you out and you last 20 minutes i'll give you 500 dollars. and already a bunch of people have said i'll give you 500 dollars too i'll give you 200 i think it's up to like 1200 dollars now for this internet troll who's doing the same thing that you're talking about if he cannot get knocked out in 20 minutes to skate with me so same thing you know some of these people it's just it's unbelievable <laughs> So, uh, so Rich, you talk about the season and, and in your book, you, you chronicle uh, an entire youth season that you're talking about has a lot of ups and a lot of downs that go through it. So if you can, just to give us a little snippet, like what were some of the really big ups and some of the really big downs that the readers can expect to read as they're going through your book? Well, one thing that happened, and it probably happens in all these leagues, is that you feel like there's these four teams, but 
the double A team isn't necessarily the best team because one, it's a parent run organization. So parents want their kids on the top team, even if, and, and, and then the other thing is that they're using the, some kids who are kind of like considered troublemakers or bad kids. They're being put down a team like to teach them a lesson. So we wind up with a team that's like the 1975 Oakland Raiders or something, you know, we got this kind of team of a bunch of really, really good, talented players who are kind of like giving the coaches a hard time or telling dirty stories in the locker room, whatever they're doing. And so we, you, we go to the first game and our team is way better than it should be. You know, you see that, like you get in some old car and you put the gas on, you're like, this car is too fast or something wrong. Somebody made a mistake here. (laughs) So that was a huge, hugely exciting thing. And, Right from that moment, it became the goal of the kids from day one to catch the double A team because we're in the same tier and catch them in the state championship. And um, so that and we did. They did. Wow. I'm doing it now. They did. So that was hugely exciting. And um, and, you know, there were there were long periods where we where we couldn't figure out how to win, which like a lot of losing, which the parents hated, but in retrospect, it turned out to be like the best thing that could happen because it turns out that losing a lot, one, you figure out which kids really are into it, which kids really want to play. Cause the kids who are going is still as hard as they can and playing as hard as they can, even when you're hopelessly behind, those are the kids that really are going to be your players in the key moments. And, um, and because we were losing, they started experimenting. These kids got to play every uh, different position. You know, so they really learned the game and, and out of the and they figured out how to win by losing and watching them learn together and play together was just this incredibly exciting thing. So there were individual crazy games. You know, there was a game where we got it was like slap shot. I think like six of the players got kicked out. Our one of our parent coaches told us that the team had a bad a lot of a lot of hotheads and they should go out and chirp at the other kids. And I'm like, I heard about this later. I couldn't believe it. So they chirped at the other kids and the other kids beat the crap out of our kids. And it wound up with like everybody kicked out and the coach suspended, which I'd never seen happen, you know, because I guess if there, and it was completely nuts. So that was like, I've never seen anything like that in a, in a youth hockey game, but you know, that's the thing about it. It's like, it is really, really fun. And you end up, the coaches aren't so much a part of it, but you end up spending so much time with these other parents that they become like fraternity brothers and sisters. You know, they become like the closest people to you since college. That's how I felt about it. Yeah, you're going through the ups and downs together for sure and riding the wave. And um, I wanted to ask you because I, so I have, my kids are young. I got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And my three-year-old, it's funny because, you know, we all sit back as parents. We say, yeah, we're not going to be that guy. You know, I'm not going to be that guy. But if Paige, if she picks up a hockey stick and she hits the ball and she's pretty happy about it and she's smiling and stuff, I get a little, little tingle in my stomach. I'm like, all right, yep. My, you know, my, my daughter's going to, she's going to love what I used to love or I still love. But um, how do you kind of cope with that as a hockey parent, as you get older? Because I'm sure there's a lot of hockey parents that, and, and so I'm a hockey director, full disclosure. So literally every conversation that I have with parents, I would say maybe 98% the first sentence that comes out of their mouth is I'm not that hockey parent, but (laughs) literally almost every single one. Right. (laughs) So like we all kind of sit back, I'm not going to be that person, but, but we all end up being that person. What, why do you think that is like, are we just like, is it our ego that just, you know, it's, it, that gets reflected. If our kids are doing well, people are going to think we're doing well, kind of like what we talked about before, but like, what, what do you think that is? I mean, I think that's some of it. I think that if your kid did anything really well, you'll see when you get a little, when your kids get a little older, it's like so exciting, you know? So if your kid picked up 
a guitar and could play the guitar like George Harrison, you'd be pretty psyched about it too. You know, I mean, and, and hockey, because you played it and you, you're, you coach it, it, you're involved in a different way, but anytime your kid shows a talent at anything, you have a tendency to, to lose your mind a little bit. And I do think that there's this kind of, for the hockey parent, there's something I call the hockey cortex, which if you have it, you don't even know it exists. You could be away from the game for 20 years and you come back and it lights back up again and you're like a, a mad person about it, you know? So um, I think that you ju- there's a weird thing where I, have, I realize this thing with parent coaches especially, which is it is impossible to see your own kid play hockey objectively. You yeah. cannot judge your own kid. I don't care who you are and everybody thinks they can, but they can't. And there's two kinds of parents. There's a kind that think their kid's the best player in the world that ever played and they do nothing wrong. And the kind that thinks their kid's the worst player in the world and do nothing right. And the fact is it's almost always somewhere in the middle, you know? And um, so for that reason, you know, what happened to me was I had an older son who played, he wasn't that into it. And my younger son, I wasn't even involved. And I went to the rink and I saw some kid playing in a really interesting way and I didn't recognize him and it was my kid. (laughs) <laughs> that was so I mean like and that's the only way to see him like if you don't even know it's them if you walk out and walk back in and you see him for a second because it's because when I look you know it's so you could see that that excitement of that gets it gets to you and what you realize is for my kid and it's humbling which is like he's really good but he plays kids one notch up he's a double a player they played a triple a team last week they were smothered they couldn't do a thing you know, and you realize no matter how good you are, somebody is better. No matter how fast you are, somebody is faster. And realizing that is kind of like the key thing for like a hockey parent. Like, and I remember I read this interview. There's a great old interview in the Chicago Tribune by Bob Green with Eric Nestorenko. You know who he was? Remember oh, that? yeah. 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 And he was still a player. And he was talking about how he believed he was, you know, the best hockey player in the world. He had no doubt when he's growing up and he came to the Blackhawks, you guys were like a hundred players better than him. Now he was close to the best hockey player in the world. If you think about it, I mean, but he still had that feeling that there were so many people better than him and above and beyond him. That I think that parents kind of lose their, you know, perspective. It's good to have ambition for your kid, but good to realize that this is your hot kid's hockey career right now. It's not in the future. It's happening now. Your kid's probably not going to play pro hockey, you know, or college hockey even. So this, these are the glory days and you don't want to miss them while they're happening by foot, by making plans for a future. That's probably not going to be there. That's so true. The percentages are so small and uh, we all live in a bubble, no matter where you yeah. live, uh, obviously like Chicago and certain places are bigger bubbles than others, but we just had a team. I'm, I'm in like near Syracuse, New York right now. And we had one of our teams that just went over to play in Pittsburgh and it was kind of same thing. Like, they thought they were pretty good. And then all of a sudden they went out and played the Pittsburgh pens and got just thumped in three straight yeah. games. And it was like, Oh, but I practice I'm sure was much better on Monday because now yeah. it's like, Oh, our, our, our crap doesn't stink as much anymore. <laughs> we got out of our bubble. <laughs> right. Well, that's what I mean about it's good to lose. And yeah. good to see that there's, you know, you're in your bubble and you're playing games that are set up. It's like, uh, so, um, you know, it's humbling, but as a parent too, you realize, this is like a work in progress here. And, and I always do think that's why it's good to like, you know, I, I have it. Like I'm, I'm at my kid's game. And some parents talking to me whose kid's not playing next and they're talking and the game's about to start. I don't want to be rude, but I got to get away from this person by any means possible. I'll even knock him down or trip him if I have to, but I'm not going to miss the opening face off, you know? So I think sort of trying to, I try to walk around the parking lot. 
I say as a hockey parent, you spend a lot of time counting backwards slowly from 10, like when you're on the playground, you're a kid to calm down. So <laughs> it's all, and I really, it's, to me, it's like really fascinating now to watch the parents and the bleachers because they're all doing these different things, but I see them all as separate coping mechanisms that they found ways to deal with their emotions. Like we have a guy that used to keep score, like a guy doing the old box score at the Cubs game, you know, and you know, he's doing, I said, Oh, it's so great. That he does. He said he does that. Cause if he doesn't, he starts screaming. It's like a way to keep himself occupied. You know, you have the people that drink the people that walk around the rink. I always have the goalies parents set up right behind the goalie, which would drive me crazy if I was a goalie as if they're rock and sock and robots and they're controlling the kid, you know? And, um, it's, it's, and I'm the parent who always moves to a different spot when things are going bad. Cause if, maybe if I watch from over there, it will look better or maybe it looks better from over there. <laughs> You're not superstitious at all, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very superstitious. Uh, if, it's, if it's working, don't change a thing. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. Uh, it's, I, I want to go back to what you were saying before, uh, just kind of like almost about the rose colored glasses that everybody has with their kids. Cause my background, you know, I'm, I'm a former college coach. I coached at Cornell for five years and it's very similar in recruiting. So when you go out and you see a player that you like, and that player commits to you, you know, we make mistakes all the time as recruiters in, in our talent evaluation of people. But like, every time you go and watch that player, you got this thing in you. That's like, okay, this, he's got to play good today. He's got to play right. good today to validate that I'm right, that he was a good player. And sometimes those players just aren't very good, but you only see the good things that they do. And right. you never see the bad things that they do to validate your own feelings. And uh, it's just, a, it's an interesting kind of parallel to it because it does, it makes you sick to your stomach when you see that player that you invest in, especially as a college hockey coach some of these guys are given two hundred fifty thousand dollars scholarships to some of these people yeah. and they're big decisions and then when they don't I mean, pan out all the way up to the nfl where they draft a quarterback number one yeah and they have so many people's reputation is hooked up to this person playing well that they just stay with them year after year after year and i'm thinking about a certain quarterback you know but it's like they get so because everybody who made that decision, their job is on the line or, or their sense of their self. So and they keep thinking it's just around the corner. And the fact the truth is, I mean, one great thing about the 85 Bears, because that book taught me a lot about sports, because I went and interviewed all those guys is you can't always tell who's going to be who it's who's going to emerge and who's going to be the great players. And that's one of the things that was bugging me about hockey tryouts for youth hockey is because they're testing for certain skills. So you get all these kids just before the tryouts working with trainers to train for those skills, like training for the test. And you, they wouldn't necessarily, you'd end up with a team that wasn't necessarily the best players at all. They just were the best at these certain skills. It's like kids who study just to get a great grade on the SATs for college, but they're not really that smart. You know, you only know when you hang out with them for a while. It's like, it's all about the test. And the same thing would happen with the hockey team. And you only really find out who the hockey players are when you're in the middle of the season and some kids have stopped playing and some are still playing. And, um, and the bear, the 85 bears, they had two of my favorite players. Well, just before the 85 bears, they had Doug Plank who became like my guide in all thing, all this who played for the, uh, he's the war number 46. He's the reason they were called the 46 defense who is drafted 12th, 12th round. I don't think there is a 12th round anymore in the, in the draft. And he always said, you know, we've all seen it. You see these guys, look unbelievable they're gigantic every muscle is developed and you put put them in pads and they don't want to get hit that's just and then you see these little guys you know he's talking about himself you look at them in street clothes you're like no way you put them in 
pads, and they're like a holy terror. And it was him and Gary Fensick also who was drafted at the end uh, for the Bears draft and wound up being almost a Hall of Famer. So um, you can't really tell who's going who's gonna to develop except for the rare exception where it's some kid who's like, you know, a Mozart of hockey or something like Connor McDavid or somebody. But those people, I think, will always find the top. I mean, you can't really hide talent like that. So you don't, you don't even have to do that much. It takes care of itself. Yeah, for sure. It's something we talk about all the time on this podcast is just like, you know, it's great to skate through cones really fast and it's great to win all the, the physical tests. Jeffrey Lavecchio, who, uh, who won all the physical tests everywhere he's ever been. Um, but it is, it's another thing to just know how to play, you know, and, and uh, it's, I think that's a, but that's, it's, that's so hard to put a number value. Yeah. On. Yeah. If you can't put a number value on it. There's no way to judge it. The only people who can judge it are the coaches who had the kids the previous year because they'd seen it all year. But the, uh, but if you, if you're looking at kids in the track and these outsiders come, which we have the, the most important thing, which is probably hockey sense, I guess you'd call it or creativity or be a great teammate or whatever it is, all those things um, can't be valued. And it's like, as if they can't, put a number on them. It's as if they don't exist. Now I'm especially vehement about this because just before I went to my son's tryout, the last time I'd gone to the end, I'd written a story for Harper's magazine about the NFL combine. And I thought about the great bears players that I love my favorite player of all time, Jim McMahon, who was a first round pick and where he would have been picked if they had the, if it, you know, the combine was more important. I think it had just started. He would have been picked like in the third round, probably, you know, and um, that's because he was short. And uh, he didn't have a great arm, but all he did was win football games. That's it. You know, so um, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. And it's not just about, this isn't just about hockey. It is about all of society, about how stuff gets judged and how if, if you can't put a number on it, it's if it doesn't exist. And the stuff you can't put a number on sometimes turns out to be the most important stuff. Yeah. Well, Vex, you got a good story about Nick Backstrom, right? You, you went to Capitals camp when he was there. What was he, the fourth overall pick? saw him in the weight room and you're like, no way this guy's going to be a player <laughs> and then get on the ice. What, what, what was the story again? Yeah, it was, he was the fifth overall pick that year. And, uh, they brought me in for, uh, for development camp that summer after I think my freshman year of college and I dusted everyone in the, in the weight training, uh, tests. And I benched like 275 by like seven times. And I weighed like 195. and he gets up there and I, I literally, he could not bench 135 pounds, <laughs> but but like, that's where I started to see everything differently. As I've talked about quite a bit on this podcast, I was like, this guy is going to be in the NHL this year. And he was top three in rookie scoring that year. And he either won the rookie of the year or he was, you know, top three. And I was like, I'm doing something wrong. Like he's way better than me. And obviously we're different players, but like he's training in a different way. He's not training to be good in the weight room, which back then everyone trained to test, which is exactly what you were just saying. Yeah. Um, and, and, you don't train for the test. You train to be good at hockey. And so finally hockey is starting to come around. There's still a bunch of NHL teams of guys that I train where they put them through tests that make absolutely no sense. And guys want to train for the test. And I'm always on them. Like, no, you were going to train to be better at hockey and you'll do well on the test. You do really well, but we're training you to be better at hockey, not to be good at testing because testing doesn't matter. It does not matter. Like as long as you don't come out of shape and you're, you're not going to be injury prone, you should train to be better at the sport you play. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. That's exactly what I'm saying. 
Awesome. Well, Rich, I had a question for you because I feel like in the youth hockey circuit here, I feel like there's always these like stereotypical kind of parents. Like every team has a certain parents that play these certain, let's call them roles on it. And so like what immediately comes to mind is like the three dads who sit, sit in the offensive zone corner that know more, more, know more about hockey than everybody else. And they sit away from everybody else so they can just critique everything that's going on. You know, then you got the, the mom, that's just the no nonsense gets everything done manager. You know, you probably got a few, few parents that, uh, you know, they're, they got married young, had kids young, and they still like to have a good time and uh, all that kind of stuff. Do you talk about that in the book at all or do you see a lot of that kind of like you have your typical kind of stereotypical parents uh yes yeah we have all everything you're saying is they're all characters in the book because they're characters in real life so <laughs> you know we have the man a couple of years ago we had a manager that i thought you know because they schedule the games this woman must be having an affair because she's sending us away late at night really really far across <laughs> <the> <laughs> and she's not coming to the games She's sending her husband. So I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but all I know is it's midnight and I'm 200 miles from home and I can't figure out why. And, um, and I always like the guy who we have the, the know-it-all parents you right. And we have the guy who, um, who has to watch the game alone because he's just squaring, you know, a constant monologue. If you walk by him, you just catch, you just catch a, a glint of it. You're like, just stay away from that. Like, he's a perfectly normal person when the game's over, but during the game, you're just going to, and I remember talking to, and the goalie's parents always put the GoPro right behind the goalie to film yeah. the entire thing. And they had, and I just, I forgot about that or I didn't know about it. And I was talking to another parent saying all kinds of crap. He shouldn't have been saying. And then he came over to get the GoPro and I was like, Oh God, does that thing have sound? I hope that thing doesn't have sound. You know? <laughs> Cause you're standing right underneath it. <laughs> so yes, it's all, it's, it happens again and again and again. And then you have, you know, the team managers are great because it, like one of the things that is definitely different uh, than when I was a kid is the algorithms for the hockey season and how they do the schedule. And I don't know if it's the same where you are. It must be the same everywhere where, you know, they rank these teams based on the strength of schedule, who they play algorithms. So you get in a situation where you, they, they, you can lose the games all year. You can lose every game of the year and have a good rank at the end of the season because you only played teams better than you. Mm-hmm. And you're better off, you know, getting uh, losing a close game to a team ranked above you than to blowing out a team below you. And then you have these things where, you know, you're playing a team below you and the coach says you got to win the game by at least seven goals. The seven goal threshold. Yeah. You know, so it's like that's like the thing I was taught never to do as a kid. Like that's just bad sportsmanship. Like the, you're playing a team that you're beating up on and now you're supposed to run up the goal and humiliate them. But the coach feels they have to tell you that so they can get your rank up, you know? And then another thing that's new, and I don't know if it's there. We always had hockey tryouts in the fall, mm. you know, they have tryouts in the spring, right at the end of the season. So what that means is just at the time the team's really starting to gel going into the state championship here, all the parents start to focus on the coming tryouts and who's going to make which team. And they start looking at, you know, other kids who are your kids' teammates as possible competitors competing for just a few spots on it, on the next level team. And the team starts to fall apart. And that's just kind of a big bummer. And that's an unintended consequence of moving the tryouts to spring, probably because you want to lock the kids in before they go to a different program. And the other thing is like, you know, a lot of stuff happens over the summer, like kids grow four or five inches over the summer, they get faster, they get stronger, they play all summer. And none of that's reflected when you have tryouts in April, which is what we do here. 
Yeah, that is, uh, first of all, <clears throat> this podcast is certainly not sponsored by the myhockeyrankings.com website. We are <laughs> vehemently uh, talking about how crazy that thing makes makes everybody. But how, how was apparent because, you know, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm a hockey director and I started fielding questions about next year in December. You know, people yeah. asking me in December what's going on and and uh, all this kind of stuff, and you're hearing about other teams recruiting your kids, you know, and at that time and stuff. How do you kind of handle that as as a hockey parent? Because there's just there is so much out of your control. You know, I think we all want control in our lives, and and as much control as we can get, the better because it makes us feel a little bit safer. But how how do you deal with that kind of stuff when just the constant recruiting, the constant talking, and and I know that it parents split into certain parent groups at this time of year where, Hey, we know we're going to this team next year. And, but little Johnny, he's not going to be there. So we got to ostracize his, but we don't want to like talk to them because we don't want them to ask us the question. How do you navigate that process? Because I have to imagine you you get invited to a meeting and like half the team parents aren't there. Yeah. Oh man, that's just awful. (laughs) But like, how do you navigate that? Because I'm sure, you know, we have a lot of hockey parents that listen to this podcast. How do you navigate that? it, it okay, well, sucks. I would be if I told you I had the secret of how to navigate it and I was great at navigating it, I would lie. I'd be lying. <laughs> I don't navigate it well. I get upset about it. Yeah. And I try to think about and even now I thought writing the book would cure me of it. It definitely has not. I'm already thinking about it next year, you know. So, but the good thing I have is one, I have my son who truly doesn't care. Okay. And he's like a better person than me and he plays hockey much different than I ever played, which is he just loves hockey. I have a thing in the book where I was, he got moved from the first line to the third line after he got hurt and um, was out with like a concussion thing. And I was like, they can't, they he should not move. You should not lose your place because you were injured because they, they don't want kids to honestly report these symptoms and they're not going through. So I was upset about it and it, it, what, it was fine. But then I was upset about it. And I said to him, why are you upset about it? Why don't you care? He goes, I don't care where they put me. It's still hockey. I'm still playing hockey. What the hell do I care? You know? <laughs> And I was like, of course, he's right. I'm, I'm, I'm a complete idiot. He's completely right. I was all caught up in this thing that really didn't matter. And that usually is, you know, how he is. And then the other thing I have is my wife who truly doesn't, you know, care about it like I do. And, um, but I do think the way that you probably deal with it as a parent is, you, you know, my father has this thing that she, he, he says, the secret to life is to care, but not that much. You know, and you got to kind of care, you got to be detached a little bit and realize in the whole scheme of things, it really doesn't matter. And what team they're on next year doesn't matter. My father, another thing he said, he used to always say, it's a blip in the, on the radar screen of eternity. That's one of his uh, sayings, you know? So I think that, that, that's why I say, don't go to all the games, you know, and we have the 24 hour rule here, which you're supposed to not talk to the coach about the game for 24 hours after the game is over. Do you follow that? They say that too there. And the idea is after 24 hours, you probably won't even remember what you're upset about, you know? And if, if it's serious, you'll talk about it 24 hours later. If it's not, forget about it. I think that's a good thing to follow with your kid too, in general, like, which is don't talk to your kid about the game for 24 hours, like telling them how much they screwed up or what they did wrong or whatever. So, um, and then of course there's alcohol probably the most valuable tool in a, in a hockey parent's cabinet is a, a you know, got bottle of scotch or whiskey. That's probably what you're going to want to turn to. <laughs> yeah. <The problem. laughs> 
I'd probably say you should extend that rule of telling your kids what they did wrong in hockey to a hundred out a hundred days. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like let's a hundred percent. Let's not tell them what they did wrong. If you're going to go into that type of thing, just be ask them how did you play, how did you feel, did you have right. fun. Let them bring it to you, especially at the lower levels. Why why squish their their love for the game by <laughs> your micro not your but any parents yeah, micromanaging. Yeah, no, you know, the good thing is I don't like. I believe that my kids are already much better than I ever was. So it does, I can't tell them anything, you know, so it doesn't even matter. Right. You know, I go up there. There was, a, I used to tell him that I pay him a hundred bucks if he could beat me in a race and I'm getting older and he's, you know, I'm getting older and he's getting older and stronger. And the last time I, it was like four years ago. I beat him by like a stride. I'm like, that's it. I'm never, ever racing you again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Well, Rich, we, we still appreciate you taking the time to, to come on here and, and talk some hockey stuff with you. Um, if you can just tell our listeners, where can they find the book? Um, and if there's any kind of last words about it that uh, you think people should know about, uh, we'll give you the floor. Um, well, the book you can get either, you know, at Amazon or Barnes and Noble, or I have a website, which is authorrichcohen.com. To me, this book is like, Bad News Bears meets Slapshot. That's kind of what I had in mind, my two favorite movies. And um, it's, you know, a season in the life. And the main thing is for all the stuff we're saying, this experience of playing hockey like this has been the greatest experience in the world for me and my kid. And we have had so much fun together and spent so much time together. And as honestly believe it has made him a better person because it's taught him to be part of a team and to sublimate his own desires to the team and to realize that scoring isn't that important and that, you know, setting up the goal is what matters and not necessarily getting the goal and all that stuff, which he then has brought to the rest of his life and his friendships. I've seen it developed on the ice. Very, very cool. Well, we are uh, very excited to read it as well. So uh, go to those places. You can't miss Amazon and you can't miss Barnes and Noble, <laughs> but also uh, authorrichcohen.com. The book is called Peewee's Confessions of a Hockey Parent. And uh, we appreciate your time. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. All right, you bet.